and uh, take our seats. And if I could have everybody take out a scratch sheet of paper, a scratch sheet of paper, nobody will ever again see what you're about to write down unless, unless, of course, you want to share it with your spouse. By the way, we do have a visitor with us this morning, a visitor. Uh, over here on my right is Shelly Kuzmik, and uh, Shelly is Hannah's mom, and Shelly is a dear friend uh, of our families. Uh, she and her husband, Greg, uh, and Danielle and I have been friends for many years, and uh, in fact, when the four of us get together, we have to say, my Greg or your Greg, um, as, as those two ladies talk, so that we can keep communication straight. But uh, Shelly is just a dear servant of the Lord, and um, so please get over and see her. She was here, of course, for Hannah's bridal shower, and I'm guessing we'll see you again in, what, three weeks uh, for uh, the wedding. Uh, just so everybody knows, there was a bit of a mix-up with the invitations that got sent. Hannah and David sent them all out. We're not totally sure what happened, but everybody from the church is invited. And so if you weren't feeling invited, be filled with the bounty of invitational goodness, okay? You have been invited. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. So there was a mix-up. So, um, so, so yes. But we would, uh, just so you know. Okay. Now, uh, very quickly before we get started, and uh, did I tell you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians five? So take out a little scratch sheet of paper and turn to Ephesians five. Um, I told you uh, ahead of time uh, that when we came to Ephesians five, what I was going to do was sort of step our church through how I step couples through pre-marriage counseling. And we, of course, had kind of a big idea lesson. We had wives uh, last week, husbands this week. And following, following the way that I work couples through pre-marriage counseling is we do spend an entire pre-marriage counseling session talking about intimacy, okay? Most specifically, sexual intimacy. Now, let me be very careful here. We've already entered into uh, uncomfortable territory for a speaker or presenter. few caveats. Number one, I'm not going to be getting very specific at all. We're going to keep everything G-rated, all right, as you would um, expect, when you're, expect when you're in church. Okay, number two, um, I'm not here. We're, we're going to talk about the definition of intimacy, but I'm not here to define... Um, I'm not here to define specifics as far as frequency or um, things in intimacy that you prefer, nothing like that at all. That's a very subjective thing, okay? And as you and your wife or you and your husband settle on what works for you guys, as long as you're keeping these general principles in mind, um, I, think, I think that will serve you well. So. If, if you're thinking I'm referring to any of those subjective elements, just write it down on your scratch piece of paper. I am not, okay? We are going to stick to the Bible, which actually talks quite a bit about intimacy and sexual intimacy in marriage, okay? Now, the reason that I spring from this is I had you, and let me say one, one other thing. There are a few folks in here, they ain't married, okay? And I do apologize that maybe this isn't totally applicable to you. Um, if, it's, if, if you're in that category, I do apologize, but perhaps this would be a reason for you to be praying for all us married folks, uh, as this is a, a major prayer need. As we're going to get to in a minute, um, 
you know, God is the author of sex. He thought of it. He designed it. He had a purpose in it. And like every gift that he has, it's meant for tremendous good. Now, one thing that I've learned as I've walked with the Lord is those things that are most good, when they're turned for evil, can inflict a proportional amount of evil. Okay? So, if a gift that God gives is like a 2 on a scale of 1 to 10 of good, when it's turned around for evil, it can be a 2 with evil. Okay? When he gives a 9 gift for good, that can be a 9 gift for evil. Okay? Let's just use fire as a brief illustration. Fire can warm you. It can cook your food. It can do so many wonderful things. It can also burn your house down. Okay? And so, in, in fact, that's deliberately chosen, an image that I've deliberately chosen, because Solomon uses it. How can you take fire to your bosom and expect not to get burned? Okay. And he's talking about using the warmth of intimacy for sinful ends. What was meant to help you will burn you. Okay. And so, let's just keep all that in mind. Okay? Now... Where we're going to take off from, we're going to mention this in the morning sermon, but we're here in Ephesians 5, and we've arrived at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Let's stop there. Does anybody have a New American Standard Bible with them today? Anna, why don't you tell me what your translation reads in verse 28, beginning within the same way? So husbands, that's fine. Ah! To love what? Their own wives. Okay, now in the English Standard Version, it just says wives. But in Greek, and as the New American Standard brings out, there's a specific word there, own. His own wife. His husbands, their own wives. In fact, this is a theme that gets repeated. I don't remember right offhand. I think it's five times in the text moving forward here. In our English Standard Version, doesn't bring it out. And again, I'm not bashing the English Standard Version. Um, if they brought out every little nuance of the original language, our Bibles would be this thick. Okay, So they've left that nuance off. I'm happy the NASB left it in. But the, the idea here is own. It's singular. Okay, Wives and husbands have a singular bond. And part of that singular bond is the intimate bond that marriage provides, okay? which, as we've said before, is talked about many times in the Bible. So let's have our little definition of marriage, and then I'm going to have you make use of those scrap pieces of paper. Okay? Christian marriage is an act of divine creation whereby God unifies a man and a woman to complete his image in them as they model the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their actions and affections. Okay? 
Let's look at that little phrase right there, as they model the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, is sexual intimacy part of marriage? Yes, of course. So, does sexual intimacy then have a part in modeling the gospel? Of course it does. Okay? Now, let me ask you some diagnostic questions. Okay? I want you to write down answers, and you can share them with your spouse afterward if you would like. There's only one of these that actually, there's only one of these that's neutral. The other three have right or wrong answers. Okay? But I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands if you got it right or if you got it wrong. Okay? What I have found, whether in my own marriage or in counseling with couples, is these are the four questions I come back to time and time again. And what I think will happen is if you write down these four questions, when you find yourself struggling in this area or maybe at odds with your spouse in this area, simply revisiting these four questions will help you, okay? Because they will recalibrate your mind to get you back where you need to be, okay? Number one, first question, in your mind, okay, this is the one with neither a right or a wrong answer. Okay, so you answer however you want. In your mind, are romance and sexual intimacy generally the same thing or generally different things? Okay. In your mind, are romance and sexual intimacy generally the same thing or generally different things? Okay. Now, I've asked this question of married couples many times, and I don't think I've ever had them answer the same way. <laughs> sometimes the guy says yes, sometimes, or sometimes the guy says different, and the wife says same, and sometimes they flip it. So if you want to show your spouse your answer and see if you got it, got it right, you can if you'd like. If, not right, but if you answered it the same way, you can. Um, most of the time, it's, it's a little different. Okay, that's instructive. All right, second diagnostic question, and these are the ones with right answers moving forward here, okay? But, so I'm not going to ask for show of hands. All right, in your mind, is sexual intimacy generally physical in nature or emotional in nature? Is sexual intimacy generally physical? Now, keep in mind, intimacy is quite the nexus of physical and spiritual, but in general, which is the bigger one? Is it generally physical or is it generally emotional? You have to pick one. Okay, you have to pick one. I'll reveal the right answer later. Okay, is it generally physical or is it generally emotional? Okay, number three. Have you ever taken time to consider how sexual intimacy fits into marriage as gospel? Have you ever taken time to consider that? To tease out in your mind the various ways that intimacy pictures the gospel. Have you ever actually gone through that exercise? This is something you need to do if you haven't. We're going to do that now, but again, it's something that you will need to review as you live out your married lives, okay? Number four, not to be morbid or 
ninth grade health class-ish, but have you ever taken time to consider how the mechanics of sexual intimacy further the picture of the gospel? Okay, think about it this way. I, I couldn't fit all of this onto a slide. Everybody, who thought of sex? Who designed our bodies? So does it stand to reason that God had a very deliberate purpose in designing us the way he designed us for sexual intimacy? Okay. Just, just think about our bodies for just a second. Have you ever watched a world-class pianist just go to town on the keyboard and watch their hands fly up and down the keyboard? It's amazing the dexterity that human beings can have with their hands, right? Did God give you any sexual organs in your hands? No. <laughs> or have you ever watched sports and watched the way an elite athlete can move on the field, twisting, turning, jumping? There are running backs in the NFL who weigh 220 pounds and they will run just slower than Usain Bolt. And when you try to tackle them, they will jump over you. <laughs> and they land on their feet and keep going almost as fast as Usain Bolt. Did God give us any sexual organs in our feet? Think of a ballerina who jumps and spins and twists and turns. Again, she's doing that by herself. Yet God designed us to where intimacy requires communication and teamwork. We're not very coordinated in the areas where God designed intimacy to be, right? The, the way he designed it furthers the things he's trying to reinforce. Does that make sense, everybody? Not to be morbid, I'm just trying to give you a sense of how God thought this through. Okay? God thought this through. Now, now that you've got your diagnostic questions written down, let's cover some common misconceptions. Okay? Common misconceptions. Number one, if my, if my wife loved me, uh, or was in tune with me, she would anticipate my intimacy needs. She would anticipate my sexual needs. If she really loved me, if she was in tune with me. Okay? Um, I hear guys say this frequently, and I will say to them, have you talked to your wife about that? Before it's become a frustration. And they say, no. That's why it's a frustration. I shouldn't have to talk to her about it. Well, no, mm -mm, no, that's not how it works. Um, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but that's a common misconception. We're going to talk about the solution to this in a minute, okay? But often husbands think, if my wife was more in tune with me, if she loved me, she would anticipate my needs and off we would go. And they ignore the communication side of it. Okay, number two. This is from a wife. If 
my husband was in tune with me or if he loved me, he would not expect intimacy. Okay? He would not expect intimacy. Now, do you remember I had you answer that first question, are romance and intimacy two different things? Well, very often what I find is when this, when this objection comes up, it's because two people have answered that question differently. Okay, the husband is, now generally speaking, generally speaking, the wife says these are two different things, and the husband says they're the same thing. Romance and intimacy. Furthermore, I have to spoil my answer to the question. For question number two, is intimacy generally emotional, or is intimacy generally physical? Without a doubt, it's the first one. Intimacy, sexual intimacy, is generally emotional. Without a doubt. It's generally emotional. So, ladies, you should expect your husband to respond emotionally when there's, a tr when there, when there's perceived trouble in this area. Okay? And, and ladies, you should... Also, expect your husband to feel personal, emotional rejection when the physical is also rejected. Okay? And getting these things straight in our minds really helps us moving forward. Okay? Whether it's for the guy or for the girl, intimacy is by and large, emotional over physical, okay? Number three. I'm going to prove that from the Bible, by the way. Uh, number three. He just wants me for physical satisfaction. <laughs> he just wants me for physical satisfaction. Well, again, intimacy is primarily emotional. He is emotionally connected to you. And... By virtue of that emotional connection, the flower is a physical desire, but the root is emotional. So when a husband is showing his wife, uh, asking from his wife for physical intimacy, if she's defining it simply as physical, that's how she'll interpret it. But if she's saying to herself, oh, this is actually springing from his emotional love for me, and that's the root of it, that, then that sort of changes. That changes the aspect of it. Okay? Also, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. The desire for physical intimacy is the product not of wrong thinking, but of right thinking. Ladies, if a, if a husband, ladies, I got a question for you. How much pornography comes at your husband's on a daily basis? How much? I mean, it's astounding. And if you've ever wondered how much it is, if you ever get the opportunity to leave the country or 
to go to the woods for two weeks and cut yourselves off from social media or from media of any sort and get a little resensitized. Then in every advertisement, every news website, every social media post, almost every advertisement on TV, almost every moment of a football game, for crying out loud, there is sexually tinged graphic material coming at your man. Okay? Now, if your man does the right thing and he really is trying to turn a blind eye to all that, and he says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to personally glory in my wife. She is a joy to me. She is my love. I've said no to all these other people so that I could say yes to her. She's my one and only. I love her. I've given my life to her. That sort of thinking takes root. And because intimacy is generally emotional, those emotions build and the flower is the desire for physical togetherness. And so, ladies, when your husband wants physical togetherness, assume that it's the product of all that right thinking where he has preferred you over every other sinful opportunity. Does that make sense? Now, leaving aside the practicality of the matter, can you appreciate that? Can you admire that? Right? Of course you can. Okay, now, number four. And this is on the men. I've hit ladies two in a row, and I'll come back to the men. Okay? She has relegated me to another thing that she has to do. <laughs> now, guys, our, our wives have a lot to do. Okay? They've got kids, dinners, household stuff, on top of all the many things that you have asked them to do. You bring, this, for example, you bring home a puppy because you want to be the guy, the guy that got her a puppy. Well, now suddenly you've given her quite a bit of responsibility with that puppy. And you should be aware that at the end of the day, that's going to take a toll on her, okay? You have, you have purchased a house, and that house requires upkeep and cleaning and so forth. You have given her children, okay? It took two to tango, fella. All right? And now those kids need attention and time and energy. And it's not that she's relegated you. It's that there is a whole lot of other stuff. Okay? And yes, it is an emotional thing. But you also have to prefer your wife. And this brings us to another point, fellas. Intimacy is selflessness on display. Intimacy works best when I'm thinking exclusively of my spouse's enjoyment. And when you've got two people thinking exclusively of their spouse, that's when it's best. That's when marriage is best. And so walk a mile in your wife's shoes if you need to do that. Hand your wife your car keys and say, honey, take off for eight hours and come back. And I guarantee, guys, when your wife gets back, you're going to be ready for the loony bin, okay? And you'll say, 
<laughs> so remember, remember, selflessness is the key to mutual enjoyment. All right, now let's get to the Bible. We've covered some diagnostic questions, some common misconceptions, and now we need to get to safe ground. Basic facts. God invented sexual intimacy to picture the gospel. Ephesians 5.25, we talked about this. Husbands, wives, wives, husbands, this is to picture the gospel. And very often, we are willing to throw almost every other aspect of marriage into the gospel picture hat, but that one, for whatever reason, is not. I think there are some reasons for that. Perhaps there's issues from a person's past that makes it very difficult for them to accept this. They've had um, abuse in their past, and this becomes very, very hard for them, and I have great empathy for that person. And there is help available. We want you to enjoy all the things that God wants you to enjoy, but God did picture sexual intimacy. God did invent sexual intimacy to picture the gospel. Number two, sexual intimacy is primarily emotional in nature. Proverbs 6.25, Matthew 5.28. Jesus says this, and he's eh, similarly quoting Proverbs 6.25, that if a man looks after a woman with adultery, where? In his heart, he is guilty of adultery. So in other words, Jesus right here is putting the act of sex into the heart. It's a heart issue. Then we come to Proverbs. I want you to turn to these two passages with me. We're going to kind of hang out in these two sections. So go there with me because we're going to be kind of flipping back and forth to these. Okay, so go to Proverbs 5 and Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Okay. Proverbs 5. Let's look at verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. Listen to the emotional elements of what's a healthy marriage. Okay? Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice. That's emotional. Rejoice. In the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Delight. Again, this is an emotional response. And be intoxicated always. Be filled. Be intoxicated always with her love. Okay, he's talking not about physical love, but her emotional love. Okay? So right here, even in the physical components of marriage, it's primarily internal. He doesn't say, husbands, only have physical relations with your wife. Rejoice in her. Delight in her. Be filled with her love. Okay, this is emotional. Uh, now, keeping your finger in Proverbs 5, go over to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is just a couple pages over. You go to Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And let's go to chapter 5. 
we see a scene here, okay? He says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh and my spice. I ate my honeycomb. With my honey, I drank my wine with milk. So he's saying, this is a poetic way of saying, I wanted to be intimate with my wife. Now let's go to verse 2. Now it's she that's talking. Because you see the he, right? You see the he? Now go down and you see the she. Now she's talking. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Okay, she was sleeping. And he wakes her up. And he says, honey, I, I would like to be with you. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the uh, drops of the night. But then she says, oh, I'd put off my garment. Why are you waking me up? <laughs> How could I put it on? I bathed my feet. How could I now soil them? So she says, honey, can we wait till tomorrow? Well, let's go down to verse 6. Well, she kind of stirs and starts to kind of think about it. And she says, okay, so I opened to my beloved, my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul had failed when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Okay. So in this scene, we see that there are two emotional reactions. He was rejected, for the lack of a better term, and maybe appropriately so. But when he was... He had an emotional reaction. And then he leaves, and now she has an emotional reaction to his emotional reaction. Okay? So do you see now how intimacy is, generally speaking, mostly emotional? It's emotions that lead us to it. It's emotions that flare up when we're denied it. It's emotions that flare up when it breaks down. Emotions are the key. Okay, moving forward. I think I've beat that horse dead. All right, number three. Regular, joy-filled intimacy is the byproduct of a healthy marriage. Intimacy does not create a healthy marriage. Intimacy is what flows from a healthy marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Here's where I get that word regular from. Paul says that if your husband and wife come together frequently, if you don't come together frequently, let it only be for a season of prayer where by mutual agreement ahead of time, you decide instead of being intimate, we're going to pray together. Okay? So Paul is expecting that Christian marriages will have regular times of intimacy. I will leave that to you to define what regular is. Okay? But this is what Paul is saying. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, we read um, of this mutual pursuit. My beloved is mine, and I am his. In fact, if you read through Song of Solomon 2, what you see is the, the prelude to intimacy is this mutual praise of each other. He's praising her for all her many attributes. 
And she, ter- she, in turn, praises him for all of his many attributes. And it's in this mutual praise and affection that's shared again. These are all emotional things. And this emotional attachment and bond and sacrifice are built up. And the fruition of that is a physical union that pictures what was already being built up in the emotional union. Let's get to biblical pictures in gospel intimacy before we run out of time. Number one, gospel intimacy pictures the pursuit of sinful people. Gospel intimacy pictures the pursuit of sinful people. Now, I have an exercise for you if you'd like to take it up. Read Song of Solomon, especially chapter 8, and ask yourself, Who is pursuing whom? And at the beginning of every section, there's a he and there's a she. A he and a she. And you know know what you will find? And again, this is God's inspired depiction of gospel picturing intimacy. Anybody want to guess at who typically pursues whom? Anybody? No. <laughs> she pursues he. She's the pursuer. Not always. He, he's doing it too. But if you were to tally them up, she's the pursuer. Isn't that interesting? So, you say, but my husband was a jerk. My husband is a sinner. My husband isn't meeting my standard. Well... <laughs> This is what the gospel says, that Christ died for sinful people. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God pursues sinful people. And in gospel intimacy, we're pursuing sinful people just like God pursues us. Number two, gospel intimacy pictures praise the one we love. Now, guys, guys, I'm sure you were happy to hear that in Song of Solomon, it's she that's pursuing him most. But, so you know, if he has a characteristic, it is his absolute, unending, unflinching praise of his bride. His, and so, if, if you come, say, to me for counsel, and you say, well, my wife doesn't pursue me, I'll say, well, how much have you praised her? Okay? How do you praise her? What do you praise her for? What virtues in her are you trying to reinforce with your praise? How wholehearted is your praise? You can't expect healthy gospel-picturing intimacy without the praise portion of the gospel being in your marriage. And so, husbands, practice becoming an effusive praiser of your wife and all her many attributes and virtues. 
think about her through the day and about all the things you're appreciative for. Ladies, understand that when your husband goes through that, it's going to do something with him. Okay? And that brings us to our third thing. Gospel intimacy is the picture of an ill-deserving seeker, of an ill-deserving sinner seeking and receiving grace. Okay? Gospel intimacy is the picture of an ill-deserving sinner seeking and receiving grace. You know, in many ways, husbands and wives will even define intimacy a little bit differently. Um, a wife will really prefer, say for example, to sit on the couch together um, and just sit and talk and she sits next to him with his arm around her and that to her is the definition of closeness. Okay? And her husband likely has a little different definition of what intimacy is and looks like. But in the gospel, we sinners go to Jesus and we say, I'm in need. And he meets our needs. We go to him and we say, I'm in need, even though we're sinners, even though we've sinned, even though we haven't met his standard. And we go to him with every expectation and hope that he's going to meet our needs. And so, in marriage intimacy, it's the same thing. However you define whatever intimacy is for you, whatever makes you feel close to your spouse, Part of the gospel picturing of it is you clearly communicating that to your spouse, clearly expressing that need for grace, and then having that grace met with favor. Does that make sense, everybody? We, we undercut the gospel picture when we assume that they know what we want and are withholding it. You wouldn't make accusations like that of Christ. Husbands, it's the same thing. You can't get upset with your wife if you haven't sat down in an unemotional time and talked it through. Okay? When our spouses then come to us with a need expressed, Grace demands that we do everything in our power to fulfill it. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't legitimate times to say no or tomorrow or whatever those might be, but at the bottom of all that, there needs to be a real um, heartfelt uh, desire to meet those needs Maybe not right this second, but to meet those needs when they're expressed. Does that make sense? You know, uh, my wife wants to sit next to me on the couch. Um, 
but literally the drywall just caved in and water's coming into the sunroom, okay? I'll say, honey, listen, I will do that tomorrow. <laughs> but right now I gotta patch the roof and the drywall. And she goes, okay. I don't know what I'll do without one more second of cuddling up with you, but I'll get by somehow. And I said, I know, baby. Okay. Number four. Gospel intimacy is the product of right thinking, leading to joyful union. Okay? It's the product of right thinking. So ladies, don't accuse your husband of being a whatever when he wants you. It was almost certainly right thinking that led him to want you. Okay? And husbands, don't accuse your wife of being needy when she wants to cuddle up to you. Okay? She, was, she admires you. And she wants to be near the person she admires. You're her best friend. And she wants to talk to that person. Okay? We talk to our best friends, guys. You know, it's <laughs> radical, but we do. Okay? Talk to her. It was right thinking that led her to need that. She's expressing the need. Everything in your power to fulfill that need. That's what pictures the gospel. Does that make sense, everybody? Was all of that appropriately G-rated? I would hope so. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. I pray that you would help us to picture the gospel in all aspects of our marriage, including intimacy, especially including intimacy. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.